outside to the end zone. Deshaun Watson, who's now throws over the middle to a wide open receiver at midfield, and that is Hanson. Chad Hanson and work his way to the end zone for the touchdown. They're going to run for it. Oh, it's pushed back at the five-yard line is Naeem Hines. Loose ball on the ground. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. And the Texans had another Turn Up For What moment on Sunday against the Colts, a team that we perennially struggle against and managed to fumble it on the two with a chance to take the lead with less than two minutes on the clock. So there we go. Uh, Add that one in along the long list of them. But here to help me break this one down is Texans underscore thoughts, Jordan from the Texans Unfiltered Gang. Jordan, how you doing? I'm doing great. How you doing, man? Thank you again for, for having me on. It's, it's a great opportunity and, and always great talking to you. Yeah, no, thanks for, thanks for the time. It's, um, I think each week, we'll try to do somebody different each week this year. And it's just always, I'm always a bit humbled and the people that just want to spend their time talking to, talking this very frustrating team. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, of course. Well, you're you're a smart man. You know what you're talking about, and I think that kind of has a gravity where people want to talk to you and talk ball with you. Oh, thank you very much. I, I think it's um, it's it's one of those things. I think it helps you sort of compartmentalize it in a way. Um, I've been watching this team for about ten years. I've only been doing this for the last two seasons, but in terms of uh, you've been doing this for well, you kind of started doing all the film breakdowns and stuff for a year. How long have you been watching this team? And and in that time, where does this or where does Sunday's uh, fumble in the two rank with uh, terrible ways to lose a game? Oh my God, uh, I, I'm with you. It's it's been um, maybe seven ish years for me, seven or eight. I don't know the exact year, but um, yeah, this one this one's up there for sure. I think um, it's more of like an emotional loss. This one was than like a a devastating oh yeah the season's over like the sky is falling it's not that type of loss it's more emotional because of because of the opponent because it's the Colts we hate the Colts screw the Colts um but also because of the outcome of like how how we lost you know it wasn't just a blowout it wasn't just like those games last year against the Ravens and the Broncos where where we kind of knew that it was going to be a loss by the second quarter right this one we were invested to the last minute we were invested in Deshaun Watson and his game-winning drive. It was going to be epic. He he got us down to the two-yard line, and it was supposed to be another notch in his belt, and it got stolen away. And it didn't get stolen away because we because we failed to do something that we um, have failed all seasons. Because we failed on something so random, and a failed a poor snap like that, like that is so random, and it's just a horrible way to lose the game. So it's it's definitely up there, probably like top three top three horrible moments to to lose a game for me. Yeah, it feels just like all these issues that, you know, that we let happen off, you know, off the field, just find ways to seep onto the field each week. And I think no more than, you know, a guy that, and look, I, I don't think, you know, like it takes two, right? It's just the same with the field goals. It takes two. It's a procedural error when you snap snap it like that. But I watched the All-22 back today and there was a number of them that, you know, that, that, that Deshaun was just, you know, tuned in to to catch those low snaps but it i think for me i i tweeted out i think he's martin's one of these guys that was football privilege you know and it 
it lends itself to that tough, you know, smart, dependable, all that kind of all those stuff that we I hope, you know, I look forward to the day where we don't have to talk or hear of that. But but you know, you gave a guy who didn't who didn't deserve that eleven million a year deal. You know, I remember people talking, they'd be crazy to give it. You've got Greg Mansuri, they've got, you know, Zach Fulton, who's a better center. And uh, and it just felt like another one of these, you know, personnel busts that, you know, and look, you know, I wouldn't, I'm never one to take, you know, I'm never one to say, well, that guy shouldn't be paid that. But, you know, it's hard to do that. But I think when you've got a center paid, you know, within the top 10, you know, at that position, you've got to think procedurally. Right? That's what you pay for, to not have things like that. Yeah. And then, you know, and take away all the poor run blocking, take all the way the miscommunication errors with Zach Fulton. That's where it comes when it's the bread and butter of your position. When you feel like that, then that that becomes a, bit, a much bigger issue and a much bigger question about that player's performance. And I think that's Nick Martin's a little bit in the crosshairs at the minute after that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's it's the his harsh kind of criticism right now. It, it's definitely deserved. Like you said, like if you're getting paid that much money, you're expected to make big plays. Number one, you're expected to make big plays worth that money, but you're also expected to, like you said, make the very fundamental plays. And so if you can't even do that, you're you're definitely going to get some criticism. And and for the future going forward, um, what are what are your thoughts on, on Nick Martin and uh, Zach Fulton? Do you want to do you want to switch the two? I think that's what kind of is the consensus going around right now. Zach Fulton's a better center, like you said. Do you think Nick Martin still has a future on this team? Maybe at right guard instead. I think we save six million in cap. If you cut them next year, um, right? And any player that sa- saves you more than three, four million, I think you've got to question it. Um, is you know, is that a, you know that living is not value for money? I think we've all known that. I, I mean, to be fair, the twenty nineteen tape was you know in that in that ballpark, but I still don't think it was you know top five center money that he got at the mm-hmm. time. Um, and he was, he, you know, he was one of those guys that O'Brien liked that you didn't have to coach, and that's I think that's the. You you wouldn't have to tell him, you know, you need to be, you know, get your lift in Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, yeah. you know, after practice. It's just those guys that have the good habits, but I think they flatter to deceive. And look, if, if his brother wasn't, you know, and I know he's, he's, he's came out of that that vintage Notre Dame line. I think, you know, was it not that this, the five starters at one point with Quentin Nelson, his brother, yeah. uh, McGlinchey, and I forget the other tackle, but it's the highest paid ever line in, in college football all made it to the pros. So, you know, how much of his college tape was that? And, what bugs me with Martin is I remember a clip, I'm sure it was Detroit preseason in 2018 when he came back after he missed all 2017. And there was a clip of him and he, he helps with a combo block, but then he slides quickly back into his gap and then, you know, looks for more work and blocks again and looks hugely athletic. I remember a clip coming out at that point saying, you know, the Texans have got a great center here, you know, and everybody said that when they drafted him, but he's, he's underperformed. Uh, and it's a shame for it to all come out like that, but I think sometimes it's just a straw that breaks the camel's back moment, isn't it? That you think, you know, you have questions and you may not air them all the time, but you know, plenty of people have questioned that contract. But I think that's a moment where you, where you, where you start to question everything. But I don't think you can underestimate uh, quarterback to um, center continuity, just like on the offensive line. But when the interior is a problem. That's where it becomes an issue for me. And there was a play I tweeted out today on the All-22, and both Fulton and Nick Martin leave the guy and and, uh, and just let him go in a free sack on Watson. And it was what it was, you know, and it was kind of some of the stuff we saw earlier in the season. I remember Nick Martin, Kansas City Week One, just drifts drifts out of his out of his gap, and the guy just and the linebacker just oh, it was the safety, I think, 
runs in and a, a sort of delayed blitz and it just looked so easy and when it shouldn't be that easy. So, you know, the play's not been there and I think, you know, I wouldn't be too upset if he if he left us next year and we, and we, and we move in a different direction. But you've got a guy like Greg Manson there who played 2016 full season, flawlessly. So it feels like, you know, the, the, there could be, you know, easy improvements, just like there could be all over this roster. But I think the one thing we've got to remember is you can't, underestimating the Mike Devlin factor because he's one of the worst coaches in this league. He has to be because how can it be, how can you have players, you know, that you've paid for, drafted, traded for, and them not to be a cohesive unit? That's that's exactly where I was going to go with this. That's exactly where I was going to go. You mentioned that play where, where Martin and Fulton, like they look like they haven't even been coached. Like they look like they have a lack of awareness out on the field. And that's not just like your pure talent. That's not just from how strong you are, how fast you are, right? That's from coaching. That's from film review. Um, and like you said, Mike Devlin, in my opinion, he is not an NFL caliber offensive line coach. Sure, you could make the, the argument before in his career that the Texans weren't giving him anything to work with. But now you got a second rounder in Martin. You got a second rounder in Sharping. You got a first rounder in Titus Howard. And out of those three guys, it's really just been Titus Howard who's actually shown up consistently. And and Sharping's probably a whole nother um, thing to go down to. But yeah, Mike Devlin, he, he's number one in my kind of like position coaches that that need to go. No question about it. He does not deserve to, to coach for this team anymore. The, you know, the... the... I mean, even at, and by the tape, it was they get, I think it's number ninety-seven, Muhammad, um, who's not a household name, but I mean, they're five or six deep at pass rusher. He beat Tunsil badly on a play. I don't think he's yeah. played quite as well since he's been, you know, out with the illness. So you know that might take some back. And he said that in the press conference, whatever. I don't want it again. And you know that that's uh, you know, we've all been there at times. It's probably taken some stuff out of him. But the the sharpen thing really annoys me when. Uh, why are you rotating a guy that needs game time? You know, and it and it's mm-hmm. it just seems short sighted in many senses. But to be fair, and then the one series they actually put uh, Senio Kelamenti at right guard. It was the the short drive with the fumble, and he didn't go back in at right guard, but they, they continued to rotate. So you made three changes on that line throughout the game, and that goes back to you know I don't know who's making that call, um, but it feels like that's a, a carryover. From previous seasons and I think the carryover on that offensive line is Mike Devlin so yeah I don't think there's anybody who watches this team isn't uh, all set for Mike to leave the building but I think you know overall and I know you and I talked about this you know in the off season that you know there was high high expectations for the line but I, how do you think we fix it in the off season? Yeah, so I think the whole thing about this offseason offensive line is, yeah, like you said before, like continuity. That's what we wanted. It's the first time in in how many years where we've had all of our five returning offensive linemen, and that was supposed to be huge. But we saw that continuity doesn't matter as much if you don't have the right coaches to help them improve on their issues. And with Mike Devlin, like like you said, like perfectly, like I think it is definitely a carryover effect where last season we saw Chris Clark and Roderick Johnson rotate at right tackle something that's never really happened before. Teams don't do that because as an offensive lineman, you need to have in-game reps and, and gain a rhythm and, and understand the opponent and what they're going to do. And if you're constantly getting ganked in and out of the lineup, it's much, much harder to do that. And so now we're seeing the same issue with Max Sharping and Senio Calamente. And and especially against this Colts game, I was watching the, the All-22 and, and Sharping was the only guy to actually at least try and slow down Buckner, DeForest Buckner. 
And Buckner is an all-pro. He's a stud. And he was just running straight through Zach Fulton, running straight through Senio Kelmente. It didn't matter who put them there. But Sharping at least had the strength and the power to kind of slow him down. And, and it's not just an instant, like, two-second blow-by, right? And so, to your point, like, how does this kind of change the the view of the offseason? Well, we've already seen that continuity, like, it's it maybe be a, a bit overrated if you don't have the right coach. And so, now that you've already kind of invested a a, a lost year in these five you really don't want to invest another potentially lost year where these guys aren't going to make improvements yet again and so in my opinion you definitely have to have two different starters on the interior of the offensive line i'm still a big sharping believer i think we need to let him play and work out his mistakes but nick martin zach fulton they gotta go and whether you bring in a new free agent whether you draft someone probably both there definitely needs to be two different guys in there um, and then bring in a new coach and and see where you go from that. And that should be hopefully um, market improvements. Yeah, I think it, it, I mean, I think it's just a microcosm of, of, of the previous regime, you know, and I think it, it, you saw the emotion of Watson at the end and it just, you feel for the guy because he's just, you know, there's so many of those moments like you think you, like you said, you're going down, you thought, right, we're going to do this here. You know, you thought that in the Tennessee game and, and uh, and there need you know there needs to be help around them, and I think the coaching is a big part of that. I think you're right. There's no way that Zach Fulton and, and Nick Martin are both here next year. You've got to think. But as we said, the coaching fact, you know, somebody could come and well get uh, you know a tune out of those guys. But I think for financial reasons, you know, that that will be an easy change to make when you watch some of the tape back. Um, but the, the 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 day that Watson had, I think you've got to speak to that in the sense that. You know, when you when you saw we were rolling Chad Hansen out there, a guy who picked up by the Jets three years ago, not played an NFL game for two years. He's got less than 20 carries to go over 100. And then the biggest indictment of the previous coaching staff, you know, someone's still here and some not, but Kiki QT had a hell of a day. And uh, he just, you know, he just shows you that, again, just talent mismanaged. And it, not only does it show that he was, you know, worthy of playing on this roster, it also shows that, you know that you didn't need to sign Brandon Cooks to that, um, or uh, yeah, sorry, Randall Cobb rather. Easy to get those mixed up, but Randall Cobb um, to that, you know, that big deal. He's and he's due ten million next year. And you think, you know, simple ways to save money. You know, a ten million slot receiver doesn't sound like a cap that's well managed, and it definitely isn't in the next year. So there'll be challenges, but it shows that the previous regime just you know pissed poor management of this roster and Deshaun's reaction at the end of that was just a direct output from all those decisions you know compiling oh absolutely I think not only did this game kind of show just how inept the previous management was um, and how many kind of issues there are to solve but but maybe there are some solutions on the roster but I think the main thing for me with this game and, and with Deshaun Watson that that really stood out is that he did what he's doing at an elite level versus an elite defense. Like in the second half of the season, he's, he's really been turning it on, right? Ever since uh, Bill O'Brien was fired. And I was kind of a, a proponent of, okay, look at, look at the competition he's going up against. He did it versus the Jags twice. He did it versus a poor Titans defense. He did it versus a horrible Pats defense and a horrible Lions defense. And so as much as I love Deshaun Watson and want him to be that MVP caliber cal- quarterback that everyone's saying, during those games, you got to look at the competition and, and, and wonder, right? So the one question for me is, could he do it against the elite defense? And these were the biggest tests, these Colts and these Bears games. And so far, he's passing with flying colors. 
for him to be able to do what he did Sunday versus that top five Colts defense when they were all healthy and we were not at full power, that is amazing. His ability to elevate the talent of lesser receivers with Kiki QT, Chad Hansen, Brandon Cooks went out for a little bit. Like that is true MVP caliber um, quarterback play. And it's very rare to find that. And I think, sorry, go for it. No, I was just going to say, I mean, he was just, he just was going to keep slinging it all day. And he, you know, yeah. there's a couple of near misses and, and, and stuff. But to throw against that defense, you've got to zip every throw in there because those, I mean, I just watched the tape back today and probably didn't notice it as much, probably because last year we could run the ball some. So it was less obvious on tape. But those linebackers between Darius Leonard and Walker, they can cover some ground. I mean, the athleticism of those, I don't think there's a two guys at inside linebacker that cover as much ground as they do. And I think they make it so difficult to to get passes across the middle. And, uh, and we didn't really test them deep, you know, really deep, deep apart from, you know, the Kiki um, couple of catches that he got. They were the longest, I think, of the day. But uh, apart from the one where Brandon Cooks kind of slipped the, the, the coverage. But, uh, you know, it's it's tough to play against that defense. And I think when, when, when you start to see it, with guys who are no names, that's when you. I think that's when you know he's arrived, and he's definitely arrived this season. It's just, it's it's just torture to the point that everything else else around him is not good enough to allow him to win games. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think speaking to the the Colts defense in particular, like this is a defense that we've seen give Watson some struggles over the years, over our divisional games, over the playoff game in twenty eighteen. We've seen Matt Eberflus and that defense be able to scheme against Watson's strengths, whether it's the nickel blitz, whether it's their zone defenses and their linebackers playing super fast. Like We've seen that he's had struggles, and Deshaun Watson has has taken the biggest leap forward that he possibly could, and it's mainly in his, in his ability to like quickly process the defense and quickly make his reads. Because like you said, like these linebackers are moving so fast in and out of their zone areas that you have to, be, you have to make these split-second decisions as a quarterback. And Deshaun is there 110%. He's making quick decisions. He's making his first, second, third read in a snap of a finger. Like he's, his eyes are scanning all over the field, and it's very different from his first um, first couple of years with the Texans where, where he had DeAndre Hopkins to rely on. And so maybe you don't have to think about going to your third and fourth progression as much, but now that's kind of, that's kind of opened up his game um, and allowed him to really spread the ball around and make those decisions quicker. Um, I'm actually curious what your what your thoughts are on that because I know it's a it's a big polarizing trade. Do you think losing Hopkins has kind of helped Deshaun Watson's game take that next step? Well, I think you've seen it. I think the well, I think a big part of it is they've gone you know empty set, um, yep. stretch the field, uh, and then you know and that's hellishly hard against Colts. You know, predominantly play sort of cover to four three zone um, and. If I'm not mistaken on that, and I think that that doesn't match up well necessarily against the you know the sort of spread in inverted commas um, offense, and that was that was the most we've seen Tim Kelly call that. But I I think the the type of plays and the looks and the formations that Tim Kelly's grown into over the last few weeks was probably everything you know that most people watching that tape previously objectively. They weren't so, you know, damn hard-headed, you know, not willing to, you know, deviate from their, you know, system that, you know, as Quincy Avery was quoted in the week's end, it was created for Tom Brady. So I think it's just a part of it is playing more to his strengths. Um, but I think, yeah, the, having to go and do it 
um, every week and, and scan the field more now. He's still not there fully, I don't think, scanning the field. Um, but I think the biggest jump he's taken, and you saw that on, on Sunday, was his footwork. Because when, when you know when he yeah. when he, he'd get flappy um, with his feet um, when he was under pressure, and he's actually taken that out of his game, you know, touchwood for the most part. So that's been the biggest thing because you know those those four up front, right, between Grover Stewart, I mean, DeForest Buckner, you know, we'll come onto that in a trade because that's what a trade should look like in my eyes. If you give up a first round pick, you get an app, you know, you get somebody that can really mm-hmm. push the pocket, and he's made a big difference. You got Justin Houston, you got Danico Autry, and that's you know, it's a, it's a pretty fierce front four. And as you said, it's a top five D, and you can see that. But he on Sunday, he consistently either stepped up or stepped to the side, rolled out, and used the athleticism, you know, in a in a measured way, rather than you know he would kind of do the spin and he would, it would you know he was just hoping that there was space behind you know to his back you know his uh, blind side left so um it was the footwork's been a big part of it i think and he's got better at just releasing on time he's starting to throw guys open more because he's you know he's forced to throw at them rather than you know i'll, I'll throw it to hopkins and i don't need to i don't need to worry about too much about ball placement because his catch radius was so broad now look i mean love the guy you know don't digress on it but you know love the guy still be here but i think broader terms you know if you if we can if if this offense uh can have a guy like chad hansen you know in the next four games will tell that if he can be your fourth or fifth receiver next year and on a, a rookie veteran minimum it maybe still give you three four hundred yards a season then you know that that then alleviates some of the cap issues that we're facing when you you're paying a franchise quarterback so you know and a true franchise quarterback elevates and you're starting to see that was the first time we've been forced to see it anyways um, we couldn't, you know, get the tight ends involved just because the linebackers and the safeties. Um, Julian Blackman at Utah is having a hell of a year. You know, guys that really cover ground. You know, the nickel Kenny Moore. You know, probably one of the best nickels, if not the best nickel corner in the league. And you know, he's covered so much ground in there. Um, so, you know, I think there's been a lot. There's been a big improvement in his game. And it's just the frustrating part that it's not translating into results um, for him. But I think it's you've definitely seen that growth to the point now where. You know, you get it in the national media. They're usually minimum two years behind sort of people that are watching this team every year. And when they start to go, you know, you're like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's now everybody's saying what what I've been thinking for you know a couple of years. Yeah, it's definitely definitely great to see we finally get the recognition that that Deshaun deserves, and hopefully we can we can turn this ship around and and we can start getting him some wins because. Yeah, like you said, like he he was defeated in at the end of the game. He was defeated in the presser. Like you could you could feel it in his voice when he was talking about like these these losses add up and and I don't know. For me, that didn't give me a good feeling, a, a, a big um, feeling of confidence, really. But yeah, we definitely we definitely need to get him a better roster around him so that these big performances aren't just gone to waste. And you don't want it to dent his confidence, his momentum that he's he's played with in the last few weeks, and it's just grown and grown. And you'd like to think with a competent coaching staff, you can get that from week one to week sixteen, you know, in this season upcoming. And it's it, and it feels bad to be talking about next year, but most of you know most of this year has revolved around that. So you just want him to get through these games, keep showing the good habits he's done, stay healthy, and uh, you know it's all about getting into next season. But I, you know, he said that at the press conference. We've just been so close every year of being here, but you know, I promise you that you know, we, we'll do something as a team. So you know, I think. However bad all the decisions O'Brien's made, um, you know, there's a, still a reason to go and watch this team because that guy, you know, there's not many like him. And, uh, you know, if he just even has, you know, we're sitting 30-second run defense 
um, 30 second Russian attack, if you just even move those two to somewhere in the region of 20s, you know, 20, you know, at low 20s in terms of their, you know, DVOA efficiency, you've got a playoff team instantly next year. And I don't think that's that hard to do. I don't think it's that hard to do either. Get going from thirty second to maybe maybe around twenty five. Let's say that's the that's the mark, and and you're absolutely right because if you look at the schedule this year, there's a lot of one score games. There's a lot of games that are kind of I wouldn't want to say fluky losses, but but they're fluky losses. The Colts, um, bad snap. Titans, um, poor touchdown call. The Browns game, honestly, that should have been a win, but that that was horrible weather. Okay, fine, we'll take we'll give that to them. It was a weird game. Um, but yeah, there's tons of those. And if you make those little improvements to a run defense that just constantly allows offenses to to draw out the clock, to keep to wear down your defense and to keep Deshaun Watson off the field, like that is going to be huge. That is going to be huge for us. I think the defense needs to be the number one priority going into the offseason um, and, and definitely getting one or two stud defensive linemen, hopefully with the, with the limited capital that we got. Um, I think that will go a long, long way to to bring our defense to not even mediocrity, but at least like, like you said, like the, the low mid twenties and that will, that will definitely help us out. Yeah. And it's frustrating, you know, cause we're, we're, we're two plays, you know, potentially away from, you know, the two point conversion in Nashville, you know, that, that second, second and goal yesterday or Sunday rather, you know, and you're probably, you're probably, you know, you're probably closer to 500, if not 500 on, you know, with not even much luck going your way, Sitting four and zero in the division, you know, you see, you take the Browns, you just think you just piece one drive together in the Steelers game in Pittsburgh in the second half. You know, you're not you're not that far away, despite how you know terrible it's been. But I I think the underrated part of it is well, I think there's a reason why we haven't been because we just weren't able to play complementary football enough because the first half the you know the 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 offense couldn't be stopped. Second half our defense came into it, started getting pressures. And, and what do you what do you attribute? Anthony Weaver's rise in sort of creativity. Now, I still think he, I still think he overdoes it, and you know, there's too many guys playing in different spots, and you know, there's having Lonnie Johnson at single high, miles away from the play, is doesn't you know, doesn't help anyone. Um, you know, you know, least being Lonnie, but there just seems to be he seems to still kind of overthink it. I think, um, but certainly he's got more creative in bringing secondary pressure. Um, and, and it's and it definitely showed up in a big way in the in the uh, in the second half against the, you know Philip Rivers. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you 100. percent I think my my thought process on Anthony Weaver has been a bit of a roller coaster. I think early in the season he showed some good things. He showed a willingness to adapt his personnel, take out guys who weren't playing well, put in guys who who maybe deserved a shot, and try and see if you got something better there. Um, but then when Rack took over, when Romeo Cornell took over as interim head coach, I kind of noticed the the scheme switch up a bit. And you see a lot less of the kind of Rex Ryan-y stuff, and you see a lot more of the Romeo Cornell type stuff. And so I think he kind of got handicapped during a certain part of the year. Um, but then I think it was just past the bye and more recently, really, you've you started to see, like you said, Anthony Weaver, I think, is getting his hands on this defense a little bit more. He's taking it back over control from Rack. Um and he's done, yeah, I think his blitzes are the are the most appealing part of his game right now. And, and he's a young defensive coordinator. He'll he'll learn to, at least we hope he'll learn to kind of put people in better positions. But I think you have to be kind of a bit excited with his X's and O's um, and ability to drop those like double safety blitzes and, and bring a lot of pressure up the middle or off the edge. Um, but yeah, like you said, like the biggest, the biggest, 
thing for me, it's kind of negative is, is just not playing the right players all the time. And I said that he was better at it in the beginning of the season, but now he's really taken a step back. Um, Lonnie Johnson for one, um, who else not playing John Reed, still continuing to start Vernon Hargraves and Philip Gaines on the outside, um, playing Whitney Merciless over Jacob Martin and Jonathan Grenard. That really is the big one for me. And and I guess I get it. Part of it is, is out of his control. He didn't give Whitney Merciless that contract. He didn't like, and it's hard to take a, a locker room leader like that out of the starting role. So I get it, but there's just little things like that. We're playing like different snap shares um, would be beneficial for this team, but he, he is a rookie DC and he's shown some promising things, but not enough for us to want to hire him as a DC um, with the new regime, in my opinion. I think the, you know, the, I mean, it was a questionable call by Frank Reich. And I thought, you know, again, potentially we were going to benefit from a call, you know, like the game that basically saved O'Brien's job in Indy um, in 2018. It, but I think Weaver, what, he has potentially grown from us. We've had a couple of fourth down stops and that's about getting the play call right and just having a feel for it. And you can't really teach that. And I think, you know, when they sort of ran that strange kind of tight end pool power play up the middle and then the double A gap, gap blitz from uh, from Adams and, and Cunningham, you know, just rocked the guy back into the backfield. And, and you know, that was a big point of the game where you thought there'd be momentum. Um, so I think he, he feels like a coach that could do more with more talent. And like defense is just about stacking talent and then getting them organized yeah. and well coached and the responsibilities. It's, it's not, you know, it's, it's not anywhere near as complex as off as offense. Um, so, you know, that it feels like he could do more. And I know some people are talking about, you know, does he deserve a chance to the new coaching staff? And that might not be necessarily as, as the, as the um, defensive coordinator, but I think he's a guy that, he, you know, of there's few on this coaching staff that I, I think would warrant, um, to stay and you, you look at the play of Chuck Omenahu, if you look at the play of, of, Car- of Carlos Watkins you know those guys have improved this year um, you know and he's still got a big hand in that and he's, he's done you know good jobs with defensive linemen um, so I think he's definitely a good coach so I, he's, he's a guy that you know if he's willing to take a step you know to the side or or, uh, or be part of the next coach and stuff I don't think that would be the, the, the worst thing for us yeah, yeah, I would be okay with him maybe taking a step back down to his defensive line role like he's always had with us. Like you said, he he's very good at he he can build up these defensive tackles. Like we've seen with DJ Reader, he got Brandon Dunn to an okay level as well, and then Charles Menhu and and Watkins, like you said. Um, but yeah, to speak to your your point about like him just needing more talent, like definitely like the best defensive coordinators can't do anything if they don't have talent. Even we saw Robert Sala versus um, the Bills last night, and and they got. They got destroyed. They got embarrassed because he doesn't have the talent that he's used to. And so there's only so much you can do. And and with our our defense, like we gotta with the new defensive coordinator coming in or the new head coach, whoever, like we have to be a little bit patient with them. Like if we don't see results right away, like it makes sense if like we haven't made those those improvements to the defensive personnel. Because like you said, it's it comes down to talent at the end of the day. The DCs aren't the ones out there tackling. They're not the ones out there covering. They're not the ones out there rushing the quarterback. And so that's gonna stacking talent is is a great way to explain it. Like you said, that that's definitely a a big emphasis for the offseason. Yeah, I don't want this to be the roast twenty merciless podcast, but <laughs> his film is is that bad at the minute. You maybe want to find a way if you can get him to retire because that's the only way you're going to get out of that cap hit. Because if you have to sit 
and watch that level of play for fifteen and a half million dollars next year. You know, Ugh. that's borderline robbery. I mean, the, the the first touchdown, or sorry, this their second touchdown, the first rushing one, he's set in the edge. He gets handled eighty one, which I think's Moali Cox. He gets handled on the edge, um, and then you know he's going up against a guy, guy like Chaz Green, who you know famously, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, John. I'm sure he was the guy. If you remember the the, the sack, the, I think it was a six sack performance by Adrian Claiborne for the, the yep. Falcons against Dallas, and he came in and he gave up. I'm pretty sure he gave up all six, if not you know five or so. So you know he was there to be exploited, and he was locking up a guy who you're about to pay fifteen and a half million, who's just cashed in a big signing bonus. And of all the contracts, you know, you know, we talked about you know the you know the overpaid privilege center. You know, you talk about a guy who was never fit for his role and Eric Murray being overpaid, but at least those guys are out there contributing in some form. At the minute, you know, well, how bad does it need to get that you're, you know, predominantly starting outside linebacker slash defensive end is in a press conference and one of the media members asks, what do you like about this guy at the minute? Because, and not because he's, he's done, you know, or he's contributed well, he's, he, his box score is zero. And I'm like, and look, and it's not about box score. You know, you could say he might have had, you know, he might have pressure from the edge, you know, made somebody step in a sack, et cetera, et cetera. At the minute, he is doing nothing for this football team. Yeah, my my nickname for for Merciless is MIA Merc. Cuz he's MIA. He's missing in action. He's been missing since the first 4 or 5 games of last season. That's the last time he's done anything productive on the football field. And it's maddening when you have to watch him play because you can see that he's just he's not the same player that he used to be. He's not. And yes, he was a great person. Or sorry, yes, he was a great player. And yes, he's still a great person. But you don't pay $54 million for a great person. We want to see you be able to produce on the field. And he's a negative on his own. But he's even a bigger negative because he's stopping us from playing the younger potential talent that we have. We just drafted a new outside linebacker in Jonathan Grenard. We have Jacob Martin, who's flashed a whole ton. You probably know he's my guy. And to speak to your Chaz Green point, Jacob Martin comes in one snap against, like, that he gets against Chaz Green rushing from the edge, and he gets the sack. That should have been Whitney Merciless all day long. That's what you would expect out of $54 million linebacker. But Anthony Weaver, Romeo Cornell, whoever it is, like they can't just bench Whitney Merciless. They aren't benching Whitney Merciless because of the contract, because of the person that he is, and, and that's horrible. And, and maybe, like you said, that they can kind of push him into retirement. Maybe he can become kind of a coach in the in the Andre Johnson mold. Um, maybe that would be how he can kind of still bring value to the franchise. But yeah, right now he, he is MIA. He's been MIA. And that is just a huge detriment for this team. Yeah. And, you know, he's he's obviously a smart guy. And so this this is, you know, he's not one of these. I, I don't believe for a second this isn't, you know, going unnoticed by him, you know, more than anyone. And you, you just got to wonder where he is if, it, you know, you just you, look, you just never know what, what what goes on. You know, we see this. I would say we see the tip of the iceberg and all this stuff. You know, we see five percent. You know, of all the stuff that goes on underneath the surface. So, you you know, for his decline to be that bad, you've got to think it's health related, or he, or maybe you know he's at a point where his legs have just gone. I don't know, but it's it's tough to watch. I think you know, and there's. That's, it's it's blatant from the film. You could get a you know you could get a guy from a practice squad 
to play the role he's doing, just drop it into coverage. And, uh, you know, a late round draft pick, it's easy to, that's an easy role to fill for somebody that's not rushing the quarterback. You know, you just look at somebody that set the edge, be disciplined, good hand placement, you know, get your footwork right. Don't get rocked off your spot by the, you know, the, by the lineman. And it's, you know, we're not asking for much, but he's, uh, he's not, you know, it's, it's, it's alarming. And I think of all the mistakes, I think that one is by far the worst. You know, I include the trades and all that kind of stuff because it would be that bad at the moment. It's pretty alarming. So, you know, when you think you're con- contending with that, Weaves doing a pretty good job um, overall on that. And it's, it, it was it was it was tough. I think in the, in the second half because they they got into the game in ways that that you know that that, that show the dominance in it. And it, you know, it's big you know big safety blitzes give you momentum. Um, but it, I think at the same time it was undone by you know that pick play, um, you know to get the first score on the board for Ty. And then that fourth and four, I think it, it was, e- I, I couldn't work it from the tape. It was either Reed or Moore who was the responsibility of the tailback. He just, he just flares out the backfield. Rivers drops it to him and a score at a time. And, you know, in the middle of the second quarter, when we were really showing some dominance on offense. Yeah. So on, on that fourth and four, in my opinion, it was on AJ Moore actually. And so he was lined up yeah, head over yeah. the the running back and he had a blitz call and he had a call where if the running back is blocking, I go blitz, but the running back wasn't blocking. He went on his yeah, route and yet more yeah. still blitzed. And so I saw a lot of people, yeah, like calling on Murray, calling on Reed. Reed's a single high in that he's, it's not really his, his job to cover the running back. Yes. He still could have made the tackle. So I do still put some blame on him, but um, overall um, for me, that was more. And then Murray, I think he was manned up against, I think it was Zach Pascal 14, and so he got dragged over to the right. Um, and yeah, so definitely those those big plays, those game deciding plays are, are huge. And and uh, yeah, sorry, you go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's, it's all about momentum. I think a lot of the time because it gets in people's heads, and you know, it's it, the the other sort of contributing factor. I think momentum was the the turnover. Um, basically, you've got a guy who hits the floor probably knocks himself out for a second or so, which is a bit worrying on Brandon Cooks because he's had too many of those. Mm-hmm. He goes down, then the guy, you know, he's probably lost control of his arms if he's knocked out. I mean, I'm not a medical expert, but I think that would be the case. Then, you know, then the DB just sort of picks it off his chest and claims it's an interception. I think the fact that he reviewed it and still got it wrong was pretty bad. And I, I, I don't know how many times... I've seen us blatantly get a bad call. I mean, I tweeted out at the time. I remember the Mexico City game against the Raiders, and it was there was a number of them. But that that one was that was pretty bad. I think in terms of just a bad call from the refs. Yeah, that was definitely horrible. I think it's it's funny to see. I follow like a, a couple Colts fans, and so I'm getting their like live tweets and their and their reactions and opinions to the game as as I get them right, and they all thought that like. They were in their in their mind. They're they were in the right. They're like, oh, that has to be an interception. There's no way. Like he wasn't down. Like that has to be an interception. Like the refs better not overturn this. Like we'd be getting played by the refs. Like and that's what Colts fans think. And it's so funny to see the differing opinions and when you have the bias towards your team. But in my opinion, I'm with you. Like Brandon Cooks was down, and you can't just pull the ball out at the end. Like and and still have that be an interception. And I think the referees they called it like, oh, he Brandon Cooks didn't make a football move. What what? I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, but what the hell is a football move? (laughs) (laughs) Like we still don't know since the Des Bryant catch. 
Yeah, well, he, he went to the he went to the ground with the ball on his chest, yeah, and I, yeah, I find it I find it funny in a game that you know predominantly a lot of it's around guys throwing a ball on one another. The the catch is still in dispute. Um, if it looks like a catch, it's a catch, but I, I I don't think it matters what sport you're talking about. But I, I think when it comes to calls, what I was the first thing I always look for is the reaction of the guy's teammates, and not a single one of them flagged until he stood up with the ball in his hand. No, not a single one of those. There was about four guys in the picture on the broadcast, and not a single one of them uh, made any sort of gesture until he stood up, and then they started making it. So they didn't think it in real time, right next to it, they didn't think it was. Uh, but unfortunately, the refs did. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, that's a that's a very good thing to point, to look forward to to look to. But um, yeah, momentum. Like I'm with you. Like I think it sounds like you're a big proponent of it. I'm a big proponent of it as well. Um, it definitely that was a big turn in the game. Because after that, you can we were we were kind of driving, we were we were coming back right, and and you could just kind of feel the energy was sucked out of us, and so yeah, definitely kind of speaking to like the whole success of the team and playing complementary football, like creating those big plays on defense and and limiting those big turnovers on offense, like that is definitely something that that will help us like in these one score games that we've been we've been so close and so fluky, kind of wins or losses, like those big things need to happen in our favor. For us to swing these games, that's essentially what it is. Yeah, I mean, I was watching watching it with the guys on Sunday, and I think you know about three or four times we said we could just use a turnover here, just just to really swing yep. it in our favor. And we never quite got that. You know, Watson had a fumble, and then obviously the biggest turnover killed it. Um, and if you win the if you win the turnover battle, you're likely going to win. But it it just you know we've not got a great record against Indy at home or or up there. Um, we'll be back there in two weeks' time. So it'd be good to try and avenge that one. But it, it felt like, you know, overall emotion, I think, of the game was just, you know, we just couldn't quite piece a, a drive together in the second half when we needed it. And I think the missed field goal was a bad hold from anger. So I think, you know, I, I don't think Kiki was getting a lot of flack, but again, he's, he's, he's locked. I think that's kind of been a, a theme even going past to, to last year where when Brian Anger came in and, and he was holding, like, in the beginning, it was, it was Fairbairn was, like, horrible. And people was all dogging on Fairbairn, like, what are you, what are you doing? We're paying you this much money, and and they don't understand that it's it's a it's a system. It's not just down to Fairbairn. Like, of course, Fairbairn has to do his job, but if the hold is bad, that exponentially makes your job so much tougher. And so, if if the holds versus the Colts weren't good, like, then yeah, you definitely have to you kind of have to to lay back on Fairbairn a little bit. Like, it's not all it's not all his fault for sure. Yeah, again, it's procedural, right? And you're talking about the snap, and it's uh, yeah, it's one of those ones that cost you, I think. And you know, and then, and then, what did you think? Just lastly on the game, what did you? I think that well, at the time, it you know, good teams have got a habit of scoring either side of the half and trying to call that timeout to ice the kicker, being short, oh. then kicking with eight seconds on the go. When your previous two plays were both throws to the end zone, which. I think either of them you could say a good hands catcher arguably catches either one of those. Um, but what did you think of that? I feel like that just sucked the momentum out a little bit. And, you, you know, that was the difference between, I think you would have gone in with a lead at that point if you'd scored. So, you know, that that was a seven-point swing in a, in a game you lost by six, even, include you know, if you exclude the, the fumble on the two. So those those moments felt like, you know, it put too much pressure on that on that, that final drive and a field goal probably would have been enough to seal it if you'd have, if you'd have handled those two situations better. 
Yeah, I don't know Rack, what Rack was thinking. He said it in the post-game press conference. He's like, oh, if he misses a kick, I look like a genius. And yeah, I guess you do, but kickers don't feel extra pressure like at the end of a half. <laughs> they feel that at the end of the game, sure, if it's a game on the line, but we got half of a game to play. Like They're not going to get iced. Like, they're a professional football kicker. Right. So I just don't see the the worth of that, especially when you still have time on the clock to have that extra time out and, and be beneficial for you. And and like you said, puts less pressure on Deshaun. Um, but then then Deshaun did it anyways. <laughs> he showed like despite the odds, despite not having timeouts, despite I think it was around a minute on the clock, something like that he will drive down the field and he'll get you there. And yeah, those two balls right in the hands and, and Kenny Moore, he's a hell of a player. Like you said, best nickel in the league, but especially with Kahale wearing like one, the Kiki QT, I give him some slack because he, he doesn't have the size on, on Kenny Moore, but Kahale wearing, he's got no excuses. He's got the size. That's his whole thing. You get a tight end matched up on a nickel cornerback. Of course, that's going to be a matchup you go to every time. And so he's got to win that. We we hope that we can possibly see something, anything out of Kahale Waring. And he's not just a wasted third round pick, but it's not looking good so far for him. It's, I think he's had two targets and, and two incompletions so far. Um, hopefully he can put it together. But yeah, that, that drive was was definitely a killer. Yeah, I think you've got to roll him out there and get some easy catches. Um, you know, and just a simple drag, you know, some, you know, against a linebacker who's a favorable matchup and, and just get his, get his hands on the ball. Because if you watch his route, it, it looked pretty sharp. And obviously Watson's, you know, probably just, again, probably just, it was exactly this, I think it was exactly the same uh, route that, um, that Brandon Cooks ran just when, uh, I think it was Walker got his hand up and just knocked the ball. Um, he gets to the top, gets to the top and then there's an in-cut. And uh, the name is no well, one escapes me, but the it looked like a good route, and it just looked like it was slightly behind him um, to to make the catch. And I think if it, Watson puts it up higher, he catches it. Um, but I think you you want to get you know Kahali involved because you have to see what um, what's you know what's in store. And I think you know in recent weeks, I don't think Darren Fells has contributed any any you know anywhere near he did last year. I think Pharaoh Brown looked like he came in and they, they quite fancied him as the lead blocker. But, you know, there's too many plays now where he's blowing those blocks. And I know people were giving him shit for all the tweets that he's, you know, I think he says tweeted out something about all of my direct deposits still hits my bank account. And, yeah, fair enough. I mean, like, he sounds like a good guy. And, like, I know he caught that one touchdown where he ran, actually ran the wrong route. Him and Fuller were in the same position. But, uh, you know, either of those two, I'm quite comfortable. You know, anybody should be comfortable saying, right, we've got four games to go here. Kahali is going to take, you know, all the lead block and rolls and just see what he does. Because if he blows it up, just as Pharaoh Brown did on Sunday, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Absolutely. I think speaking to the tight end situation, like Pharaoh Brown is essentially Darren Fells. <laughs> like he's a bigger physical tight end where he's supposed to be a good blocker. And, and sometimes he'll show that, but he's just not nearly consistent enough. And I think those two guys, they're older guys, they, they aren't going to fit into your future plans. The only tight end that is a, is a lock on this roster is Jordan Akins, and deservedly so. He's the best receiving threat. Um, but with Kahale Waring, you kind of need that guy to complement Jordan Akins. Like you said, try and throw him out there. Be that blocker. That's who. That's a skill set he was supposed to have coming out of college where he has the size for it, he has the tenacity, the motor for it, but he just needs to clean up some technical things. And... Now he's been out all this time. He's, I'm sure, I hope he's been working on something. I hope he's been perfecting his blocking technique because every NFL scheme really is going to prioritize having a blocking tight end. 
Will they make a lot of money? No, but you definitely need it to play a pivotal role on your team. And the lack of tight end blocking and lack of like secondary blocking, I kind of call it, from your tight ends or from your wide receivers, that's something we've been lacking big time in our run game. And like, yes, the O-line deserves a lot of blame, but they're not getting helped out from the tight ends and the wide receivers whatsoever. And that helps to, um, that helps the running back out for sure. Um, so I think I'm with you 100%. We got to see what we got. This the rest of the season is is completely trial period. Like we're math, we're basically mathematically out of it. So just play all the young guys. Let's see what they got. Let's see who's worth keeping on this roster. Um, basically give them a trial period for the for the new regime, and and let's see what we got. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we will. Though I think we'll probably go into the off season, but. A similar amount of questions. You I mean you might get you know the, the the token week seventeen outing for some of these guys, but you know if the, if Tennessee are playing their resting their starters at that point, you probably won't learn a great deal. So I, I'm I'm not conf- based on everything we've seen. You know they're non-committal and Coulter, which I think that's a discussion in itself where he is at this stage. Um, you know, and then I think you know Kahali and and, and similarly John Reed falling in that same bracket of. You know why are these guys not playing? But we'll, you know, hopefully we'll see a bit more flashes because you know, as you said, Jonathan Greenard should be as many snaps as you can give him. You know, for these next four games, you know, all those guys, I think, just see what they've got. And 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 I and I I think about other guys on the practice squad. You know, Anthony Chelsea. You know, guys like that that are on there that you know, you know, can they do something? And look, I don't think Philip Gaines had a, a too bad game at the weekend, but we know what he is. You know, and I think it's the same with. Senio Kilimenti, it's the same as, you know, lots of these sort of veterans that are around that probably on heavy deals, you're probably going to have to move on. So let's, you know, let's get ahead of the game and, and see what that looks like. But obviously you've got the biggest factors. These coaches won't be here next year. And I don't think they're too bothered about that because the vast majority of them know they'll be working, you know, for a different team or in a different league, you know. So it's uh, it's definitely something but you know, a cruel way to lose the game, no doubt about that. But today we had the biggest announcement you've all been waiting for. And I don't know, I've got a very um, specific view on this one, Jordan. Um, But the committee announcement, what do you make of it? I was very happy. I was very happy to see it. I think it's funny. I had like last night, I was about to go to sleep. I'm just just scrolling through Facebook, looking at random posts. And and there's a random post where it's like, if you like this right now, you're going to get the best news next morning when you wake up. And like, we see these posts all the time. We don't believe them, right? Of course, they're not true. <clears throat> but I liked it. I was like, you know, I could use some good luck. I could use some good news tomorrow. Why not? Just go for it. Who cares? It's not gonna It's not gonna hurt me. And, you know, maybe that Facebook post was right. Because this is amazing, amazing news for Texans fans. It's not just gonna be Cal McNair and Jack Easterby. Jack Easterby, I call him Joke Easterby because he's a joke to me. Um, so it's not just gonna be Cal and Joke. He's got... A committee around him and he's not just got some nobodies he's got very successful <clears throat> football minds who have been um super bowl winning like head coaches like tony dungy and you've got a former players you've got a texans um superstar in andre johnson so you've got different um kind of skill sets and different philosophies from these guys they're not just nobodies they know what you need in a successful head coach what you need in a successful gm and they know what qualities other players are going to want to play for in a coach. And so I'm definitely very, very happy that they're going through this process. I think it's always great to get a fresh perspective from outside of the building where they're not going to have a bias on a potential hire. And and Cal needs that. He needs all the voices 
all the right voices in his ear and to get Joke Easterby's voice out of his ear completely. I like that they didn't name his name in the committee. And it seems it seems like the Texans are finally doing something right. And yes, the, the hardest part is not done. They have not actually hired the man, the two men for the job yet, or women, who, know, who knows. Um, they have not hired them yet. But with how poorly this this year has gone for us, like I, I want to celebrate something something small like this where it actually seems like we're we're going in the right direction. And 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 I a hundred percent agree with the premise of that. Um, but where it kind of sticks with me, I, well, I think the reason why the, I think the driving reason and why they've done this, been so public about it, is because they know, right? I mean, you know, I. I you know, joke with Mike Meltzer. I sent Cal an email. I know James was kind of encouraging people to do it. And they've obviously, <laughs> you know, had enough feedback now that they're out of touch. You need to go out. You need to listen in. And I, I, I this may just be the cynic in me, but I, I think you, the way in which it's been flouted so publicly makes me think it's a bit hollow. Not in the sense that they're not listening to people, but it's more of a PR exercise to say, you know, we're speaking to these people. But, I mean, who the fuck's not when they're hiring a coach? I mean, you should be speaking to everybody that you possibly can to get as much insight on, you know, what is Eberflus's system, what's Brian Dable's flaws, you know, why is you know why is Robert Sala, you know, struggled? Is that, is that because he, he's, you know, is he stubborn or is it just because of lack of talent? Or whatever the question might be, you'll have questions on every single one of these guys. And they all do because there's no such thing as a perfect candidate. You know, why, why is, you know, is, is it a risk Joe Brady's, you know, not got enough experience? But you just, I just, I, I don't know. I, I think it's perhaps a cynic of me, but I just think it just seems you would do that anyway. So why do you need to announce that to the public? And I think the only reason why you do is because you've obviously lost people's trust and you're trying to earn it again. And it was quite clear in the season ticket holder email that I got today that it's just that, you know, he said our biggest thing is to, our biggest aim is to put a world-class franchise and maintain your support. And I thought it was probably not the best wording because then Jamie Roots' is a book, book release about, you know, effectively monetizing a terrible product. So I don't know. I, I just, I just, it just felt like, well, you should be doing that anyway. The fact you've had to tell us that makes me worry about you and your process and your people more than, more than actually you just going and doing that. Cause that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's your job. You're like, okay, you've inherited this. You know, whether you want to or not, yeah. nobody will ever know. But I just think, you know, there's there's something inherently hollow about people who shout about things that they should be doing anyway. Oh, I, I, I completely can understand where you're coming from. Completely. I understand. I don't think you, it, it kind of seems like they're, they finally did something right and they got to scream it to the heavens. They got to let everyone yeah. know, hey, we, we're doing something right. And, and maybe they're not, like you said, maybe it's a bit hollow. Maybe they're not 100% like just leaning on them and that's it. But I think this is something that that's definitely to your point. It's they're trying to rebuild their image. That's what they're doing. And PR, yeah. it, it does matter to in a sense. It does matter to kind of try and instill belief in the fans again, because Cal lost the fans. He's definitely lost some of the fans. And so I, I get where they're coming from in, in this kind of PR scheme as well. Um, I think also another kind of example of, of that, of this potentially being a theme is, is when they kind of floated out the, the Romeo Cornell for head coach kind of idea. And, and I don't think anyone actually takes that seriously. I hope not. Um, but I think that came out, it was the, it was the timing of that, that press release that, that was very interesting, or that leak. And because it was basically right at the peak, right at the pinnacle of when Joe Easterby was getting all of his hate. 
And so I think they kind of threw that out there to try and distract the public from from joke and, and try and get them to talk about something else. So I think I think you might be onto something. I think there's definitely some things with, with their PR that that they strategize to try and get the attention off of other things and, and make the fan base think about kind of the positives or and not so far like the negatives with what joke used to be. So I don't know. For me overall, like yeah. <clears throat> I see both sides. But going forward, like I think it's a good thing. I think that they need all the voices that they can get. And and yeah, maybe they don't need to be telling everyone that they're getting all these voices, but it's at the end of the day, what matters more is that they actually went out and they're they're doing it. They're seeking the the advice of these guys. Yeah, because I mean it doesn't add value unless, you know, you get the insight. Whether, you know, we and just I I just it just feels like, you know, you're it is a PR exercise. I don't think we can really doubt that in, in some sense. Uh, but I think the biggest part of a PR exercise is if you got something wrong, you need to make an apology for that. And I don't think he'll ever do that. So if he's want to do if he's want to do it right, you go to the fan base and you say, you know, the, the easiest way. To, you know, fans are pretty straightforward. They just want a team to win. But I think what you, what you do is you say, this is our new GM, this is our new head coach, this is our great coach and staff. We've got the best offensive line coach. We've got the best wide receiver coach. All the positions that we struggled with historically to to, to develop. And we were really excited about these guys. We're sorry for what we've done. We're sorry to Deshaun, but you know the new dawn starts now, and, uh, and 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 you know let's turn the page together. But I think going look, we've we've spoken to people. You know, you're like well, so you you know you're you're accept, you know you're you're trying to turn basic you know uh, due diligence of your role as a victory, and that's and that that's when you start to question all the other things because if that that's a great success to just to just be diligent. It makes you worry about Cal and his thought process and who he listens to and and all that kind of stuff because I think it just felt like it was like, you know you know we're we're doing the basics look at us you know we're finally you know view us as competent again slash give us your money and I think that to me that's what it <laughs> you know it it uh, it struck me as but look I, look I hope we get you know as everybody does I hope we get one of the best coaches we possibly can and uh, and it turns our fortunes around on that subject and they named a few you got have you got any preferred candidates and i know gm's difficult because you have to be in the meetings and in the circles don't you really uh but head coach you know if you got a gm but head coach have you got any preferences yeah so i've i've kind of i've got my like top top four top five guys um the top like top three they really rotate every day it seems like for me because like just based off of more things that i learn more things i research more things i hear from from different um fan bases and insiders stuff like that um but for me it's it starts with eric b enemy i think you definitely you definitely want someone who can help take deshaun to that next level we're already seeing what deshaun can do with kind of not the greatest scheme, maybe not the greatest personnel, not everything. Like he doesn't have everything that has that can possibly help him. But with Eric Bieniemy, like you know that he's a guy who can who can take that young generational quarterback and, and make him all that better. And yes, Bieniemy and the Chiefs offense has a lot of talent to work with, but Deshaun and Texans offense, like they got weapons too. Hopefully Will Fuller will be back. Maybe Brandon Cooks. Um we're seeing with Kiki QT, possibly Chad Hansen, right? So it's not like they're not working with anything here. I like the Bieniemy higher. He's probably my top guy at the moment. Um, after him, like Robert Sala, Matt Eberflus, Brian Dabble, those are all my, that's my top four kind of, and it, and it really rotates. And, and for me, it's not almost so much about, do you want to get an offensive guy? Or do you want to get a defensive guy? It's, it's really just, 
the right guy who's going to instill the right kind of winning culture, winning habits, and who's going to hire the best staff around him. Because at the end of the day, you need position coaches to help you. You need the right offensive coordinator, right defensive coordinator to help you. The head coach is not going to be the the end all be all of this. And so I think getting the most complete guy is really um, should be the goal for the Texans. Yeah, so yeah, I, I've struggled. I've done a lot of research. And I, I struggled to nail down one guy that I think is dead certain. I know everybody varies, so I think it's it's obviously there's no, you know, there's no leader in the clubhouse at this stage, if you like. So I, I, I go from the thought process of you should go different, you know, go in a different direction, literally, and take a defensive guy. And I think Salah for me is just a clear leader um, because you don't have to be a good coordinator to. Be a good head coach. Just look at Mike Vrabel, terrible coordinator, done a you know an admirable job at Tennessee. Um, okay, you know they've been the benefit of some good fortune with Tannehill. I don't think anybody saw that coming. You know they'd be lying to you if they told you they did. But um, and then you know and, the, and then there's something about you know like Eberflus as well. I think he seems like a good coach. Um, he, he knows Deshaun well. You know he's schemed against him. So if anybody can come in and say, you know, you know this is what we used to do against you. These are the things I think you need to improve on. And then coach of defense. I think, you know, he's got a double prong benefit there, but it, it, it's tough. And then you think Joe Brady, somebody's going to do it at some point, you know. So, you know, I don't think he's, I don't think he's not a head coach. He might not get one this round, but he'll definitely get one the next if, if he keeps making uh, Teddy two gloves look at anything, anything, you know, that he has done so far, you know, with a, an offense that's not great. So there's, you know, it, it's tough. I think with the GM is going to be the, is the biggest one. I think you're right. It's, um, it's going to be so crucial that you get a guy who's just on it, you know, from day one. And not like not like Rick Smith talks a great game, doesn't really show it. You want somebody who, I don't, you know, I don't care if he's great in front of the cameras, but I just want somebody who's going to be able to run the cap in an effective way, you know, whatever help they need and, and, and hold the draft room, make mid-round picks successful, because that's the most important bit for this team, I think, in the next two years is, filling out the roster with, you know, quality additions that are on cheap, you know, because I forgot to mention, I put my notes, Corey, Corey Lugit had a couple of great snaps. He had one where he just knocked yeah. back Quentin Nelson in the backfield. And, you know, you can find players, you know, I think the greatest example was always Grease Pickett and, uh, and, and Will Bryan's first year came in before, you know, the year before they had Will Fork. And, you know, you can find guys in certain positions, particularly, you know, defensive tackle and, you know, see, you know, you see it every year at safety. You know, uh, Trey Boston's always one of those ones, but you you see guys every year that come in and can play a role on your team for next to nothing. So we're gonna have to be really good at that. So I think the GM for me is probably the the most important hire. I think, and long as we've got a good OC and somebody on the same page with Deshaun, is good. Now, what did you think of the reports? Now it looks like from reading between the lines, and and some of them are a bit more direct that Dorsey. Or Jim Dorsey is in you know, former Browns, uh, former former Chiefs. You know, two rosters that are doing well at the minute. He seems to have floated himself with the idea that he comes with BNME. What do you think of that? I I like that idea a lot. I got to be honest, John Dorsey. He he might not be my. I, he's not in my like top three guys. I would really look at, but he's he's up there. Um, I probably list him around maybe fifth. And I think he brings a lot of good skill sets that this team needs. He has always been an aggressive, kind of have that aggressive mindset where he's going to do anything possible to improve the roster and improve the talent on the team, whether it's through the draft, whether it's through free agency, whether it's through trades, he will be aggressive 
He will attack a team's weaknesses and he will do whatever it takes. He will exhaust all his options to bring in new talent. He's done great at, at finding stars through trades or through free agency. He's done good at finding value picks, like you said, <clears throat> excuse me, like you said in the in the later parts of the draft. And and I'm with you 100%. I think we need someone who is going to exhaust all options to find value because we don't we might not have, not have the biggest capital right now in terms of draft and, and salary cap space, but there's always going to be guys that you can find, like you said, um, around the margins, really. And making those small moves around the margins, they add up, and, and that's what we need. And and I like Dorsey for that, and especially if he comes with the enemy, that's that's a hell of a combo. That's I really can't complain about that at all. That's like one of your dream combos you could pro- possibly get. Um, yeah, I'd be all for Dorsey. I think a lot of the... A lot of the Cleveland guys are saying you don't want to run the cap and he will fall out with people. Um, you know, and I think, I don't know if that's something we necessarily want. And uh, I don't know how everybody will be like, what was he calls everybody? Uh, buddy boy, isn't he? That's what he called Clue. <laughs> and he did draft Baker Mayfield number one overall. So it makes me a little bit hesitant. Um, but I, I I found it strange. And I also found that, that one of the reports, and I'm sure it was Cody Stutz retweeted it out, about the the search firm, and and again, I th- this is all driven by agents, isn't it? Because it's you know it's not a leak from the search yeah. firm because they've got no interest in uh, in doing that, and there does anybody inside the building that's actually dealing with Corn Ferry. But it felt like it just seemed a bit you know strange that you pay a, a search firm over a million dollars, I think, is the reported fee, um, and then for them to recommend John Dorsey, you know, because you and I could have done that, you know, did it for a hundred hundred grand or something, but it just felt <laughs> a bit odd that. If you've paid them and that's what they've that's what they've come down to. So, so I've got two questions on this, Jordan. Right, one: Why do you why do you think, or 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 what originates the the league? Um, and two: What's the source or what's the driving factor behind why there's continual reports from different sources across the media that people don't want to take the job if Easterby's still around? Um. So where is the leak coming from? Is the first one? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you know, is that is that the Dorsey camp just trying to shop him, and then they, they link him falsely with, with uh, or, or or a tentative link because we're in Kansas City with the enemy, so that ups his stock in a sense. Do you think that's just driven purely by his agent, or is that maybe even driven by the B enemy camp, or or where did it? Because it just seems it seems like I mean, it's a natural fit, right? But I I just don't know why. Why that would be be something so clearly, and it's been in multiple reports now that obviously people are out there floating that idea that they're coming together as a package. Yeah, I, I think it's more of the Dorsey camp. I don't really think it's the enemy camp. Um, I think that Dorsey's a guy who he's had success in in the past, and I think you really see with his mindset that he he's kind of he's passionate about it he wants to be a gm he wants to be a successful gm he wants to make all the moves possible to to get a good roster and i think that kind of mindset translates to the fact that he wants another job he wants another shot at it and so i think it's it's definitely coming from his agent to where he's he, he's getting his name out there like oh if the texans want if this if this million dollar search agency right if they come back with with john dorsey's name it's going to signal to to the lions to the falcons like Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe they know what they're talking about. Maybe John Dorsey should be an option, and so I think that's kind of that's kind of his his plan behind that. And then with the Easterby stuff, like um, basically, is it true or not? I yeah, it's I don't know. It's floating it constantly. It's constantly floated that it will you know, and it's been number of sources, number of outlets have said you know it is an impediment to getting the right the base candidate. 
you know, if he's still here, which I think he, by all accounts he will be, unless, you know, the guy can come and get his feet under the table on six months down the line saying, like, I don't see a role for him here. Yeah, I think I think he is an impediment if the GM doesn't have the power to fire him. Now, Cal said that the GM is going to be able to dictate the role of, of Easterby, but he, he didn't necessarily say that, oh, once you get here, yeah, sure, you, you can fire him, right? So I think that is an impediment. I think we've seen what Joe Easterby will do. He was complacent with every move that Bill O'Brien made. Every move that Bill, that got Bill O'Brien fired, Joe Easterby was right there. He's a secondhand man. And so he's not being held accountable for those mistakes. And when you have a guy like that in the franchise, it signals that he has power. It signals that he has power over the owner. And as a GM, as a new GM, you want to come in here, you want to have a fresh, clean slate. You don't want to have any other guys that you're that you're worrying about that Cal is whispering to at night and he's saying, Oh, what what joke, what do you what do you think about this new GM? How's how's he doing with his job? Right? You don't want to have to worry about that. You don't want to have to worry about if he's if he's coming for your job, if he's gonna influence decisions, if he's gonna influence Cal. And so I definitely understand why it would yeah. be an impediment. And I think I think it's true. I think the reports are true. Because if if GM candidate Y or head coach candidate Y went and spoke to Bill O'Brien. I'm not saying they would. What do you think O'Brien's final takeaway, Jack Easterview? Because I, I, you know, I think he was instrumental in that, and he was the the silent assassin in, in much of it. Uh, I I do not know. Honestly, I don't know if if Bill O'Brien and, and Jack Easterview, Joe Easterview, if they. And they got along for a little bit, but at the end, it seemed like they have a bit of a falling out. And, and maybe Joke is is this guy who he's he's hungry for power, right? That's what some of the um, reports are out there about him. So I, I don't think he's, Bill O'Brien would have a good a good word to say about him because if they if they were really all buddy buddy all the way through, then they probably would have gotten fired at the same time as well. But clearly, he's to be is, is saying some things to Cal, and, and he's kind of got him wrapped around his finger. And so I think I think Bill O'Brien would badmouth him. He's got he's got nothing really to lose at this point. Yeah, and obviously the common denominator is O'Brien, but yeah, just an interesting take. I think so. If if it if it comes, this is what I was thinking about today. If it comes down, you've got this committee, and just say their intentions are true, and they're really good. They're going to take a consensus, you know, out of uh, you know Andrew Johnson's, you know, talk, you know, come in and said. Spoke to my uncle about this, who you know, who acted as his agent, gave him one of the worst deals a guy of his talent should have got. So I don't know what his off off the field prowess is quite like, considering that contract he signed, which was a steal, probably the opposite of of the contracts we're paying out now. You know, if it gets to the stage of that committee and say Tony Dungy leads the room and it's a defensive led guy, but Corn Ferry are saying I think you should go offense because you've got a centre around Watson. Where you know where? How do you make the call at that point? And that's why I could be again. I'm skeptical of this committee because why? You know they're doing it for in theory free, or you're just speaking you know in, impartially or pro bono, and then you're paying a, a search firm. How do you how do you balance those two bits if they are you know equal equal inputs in, in making this decision? Yeah, yeah, it's tough. I know what you mean. You're paying one guy. You, of course, you're gonna want to kind of value their opinion. Um, over the others but if you look at it like the committee they they have i think better success records and they kind of know what it is like they've been in that position themselves and so i think for me if i'm if i'm cal like you obviously you value both opinions but at the end of the day if it comes down to one or the other and if it's like if it's that close 
You know what I mean? Like if it's that close, then I, I would honestly kind of prefer the committee just because they know they've been in those shoes before. Maybe the committee for the for the head coach and maybe the uh, the search uh, corn and Fetty for for the GM because it's it's kind of different things where like like the former players like Andre Johnson, all of them like they know kind of what they want in a head coach that they play for, but they can't really speak to as much of the GM side. So I think that's kind of the yeah the difference yeah. No, yeah, I think that's a good show. I think it's a good show. I think it's it's just you know, and look, I, I I applaud them for being diligent, but it, uh, until they get it right, I think we're we're all within you know reserve the right to to trust until until the direction is Definitely. clear and we're you know we're sitting. But I, you know, look, it's all about wins and losses ultimately. And if we're sitting five and zero at this, you know, you know, into in October next year, then we'll all be uh, we'll all be happy, right? But, uh, but yeah, so we're you know we're talking about Deshaun's acid test of his growth this year against the top elite defense. We face another one in and what I think is meant to be an empty Soldier Field, a game that I was meant to be at. So I'm not salty about that at all. <laughs> I'll be watching it at home like everybody else. Um, do you think the Texans can learn from last week and and still you know? produce on offense despite, you know, arguably a drop in talent for what they had out there last, you know, earlier in the season. I think they definitely can. I think the Colts game really showed that it doesn't matter the opponent, like Deshaun will will get the job done. Um and with this this Bears defense, I thought they were really, really damn good and they've been really damn good. The and then just this last week against the Lions, like the Lions did whatever they want against them. And the Lions won in a lot of the ways that the Texans win with throws over the middle of the field, um, finding guys in space, uh, spreading the ball around, play action, RPO, stuff like that. And so they, I think they kind of laid out the blueprint already to kind of put up points against the Bears. And so I think we'll be able to do that. And then in terms of stopping their their offense, like that's, that's already a done deal. We got Mitch Trubisky out there. I think our defense could possibly have their best game of the season against that Bears offense. So I'm, I'm excited for the game. I just, I want to see another win. <laughs> that that loss really, I'm sure it has a salty taste in, in all of our, in all of our mouths. And so I want to see them bounce back for sure. Yeah, there's a, it's an odd team, isn't it? Because they, they were one of the sort of early front runners. I think they were five and one at one point and they've just kind of collapsed predominantly because that's been, you know, their lack of offensive output. I've kind of lost track actually. What quarterback are they up to now? Are they back to fold <laughs> or are they sticking with Trubisky? I think it's slow Trubisky, but it seems to switch every week. Yeah, and look, I think, you know, if it's offense versus offense, then we'll I think, you know, it should be a game we win. It'd be good just to get another one in the in the in the column just to try and round out the season. And obviously we've got Cincinnati with you know, uh, you know, after the Colts, you know, you can go and revenge that and go in the Colts. So do you think there's a chance you could, you know, win at least three of the last four? I think there definitely is. I think this Bears, I'm, I'm going to chalk it up as a win. I think, I'll go back to the Colts game at the end, but I think the Bengals, like you said, is a win. Like, they lost Joe Burrow. They're they're not going to be able to, to hang with us. I think the Titans, um, they're going to they're gonna rest the starters. They're going to do what we did to them the past two years, right? And so there's, if we, I don't expect us to play our starters, and so we might play our backups there. Like, at least not play Deshaun. Um, and so that game, that, big, that game's a bit of a throw up. So I don't know. Uh, I think we definitely have two guaranteed wins. I don't know, but I th- I think we're gonna lose this next game to the Colts as well. Um, I think they're just 
they're going to learn from the first matchup. Like we saw from the first half to the second half, like the offense was great. And then, then the offense was horrible. And that's Matt Eberflus in the book right there. Matt Eberflus will make his adjustments. And once he makes those adjustments, it, it's over. And so if he can adjust for a full second game against us, that's that's a bit scary to me. Um, so I think, I think most realistically, it's going to be two wins and two losses to end the season. Yeah. Yeah, I think if we can get to three, you'd be happy with that. And it you know, ends it on a bit of a positive note. And you want to see some guys coming out. What do you think? Uh, over, you know, what are the odds for uh, to Sean Gibson to get an, an interception? Oh, of course, of course. If Bill <laughs> O'Brien was still still coaching this team. It's it's a hundred percent. that was that's one of the underrated kind of miscues of of the off season because he was he was a solid safety for us. And they just they just did him dirty, to be honest. And if you if you have him back there, you can kind of solidify the defense. You can have you don't have to put um, Lonnie Johnson back there. Maybe Lonnie Johnson can still play cornerback. It's just so many of these moves, and it's kind of been the theme of this this podcast. Really, is just all the the poor Bill O'Brien moves. They they stack up to a point where it's it's a breaking point, and there's there's only so much you can do. And and, and yeah, it'll, it'll be tough to see him out there. I hope he gets a pick, honestly. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely a chance, isn't there? And I think I'm just trying to check there, but I'm sure DeAndre Carter went there as well. So I don't know if he's actually played yet Ugh. for them, but uh, that would be ironic, wouldn't it? But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, as you oh, said, yeah. right at the start, there's a lot of a lot of off field just seeping on it, and you know, as you just, as time will heal this franchise a bit with all these bad moves, but we're hoping to you know round off the season um, in a more positive way than it certainly started. Um, going on for but uh, Jordan thanks very much for your time um, joining us this week um, and we'll definitely have to catch up again in the off season yeah definitely definitely thank you so so much I uh, really do always love talking to you you're, you're a very bright mind in, in the Texans world I believe so great thank you so much well, that, yeah no thank, thanks and it's, I think it's definitely there's definitely a lot of good stuff out there right now and uh, it's definitely taking a jump forward I think in the in the last in the last 18 months or so. So if you haven't, and I'm sure you probably have, but if you haven't checked out any Jordan's Texans thoughts on YouTube or any articles on the Texans Unfiltered website, I suggest you do. Um, you know, I think there's good content out there and you'll definitely learn something. I do every time I, I click on one of those. But um, thanks again for joining us this week. Uh, hopefully we'll be back next week to talk a Bears win um, in Chicago. And hopefully uh, we'll, we'll be making some progress and finding out some of the, the bottom end parts of this roster and what, potential there is on this team already and that we can build into next season so thanks again for listening please continue to download subscribe and review the podcast with us and we'll catch you again next week